I remember being a young teenager in Sunday school classes at Narragin Baptist, where I grew up, did primary and high school. And uh, we had talked around discussions. And one day, I remember they asked this question, and I, and, uh, I couldn't understand why the other kids, most of the other kids, couldn't see what was perfectly obvious to me. And I would say that probably you've been in a situation where you've talked something about spiritual matters and people just don't understand. And as we think about focusing on evangelism this month, we need to take into account this major factor that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We confront the fact that people are blinded. They have mindsets which are or mindsets or strongholds of thought which is just a collection of ideas about something which stop them hearing the plain truth of the gospel. And that verse there reminded us that the source of this blindness and the perpetrator of this blindness is the God of this age, the age between Adam and Jesus coming back, Lucifer. And because there is this blindness, it means that when you gossip the gospel, it's going to take more than just the words you say and the things you do. It's going to take more than being good with words, more than having clever arguments, more than just having the right training, more than being an attractive personality and being loving and outgoing. It's going to take more than that. Because if you don't understand that there is a powerful force deliberately working on deceiving the thoughts, the thought lives of people, so that they feel justified in ignoring the story of Jesus. If you don't understand that, you don't understand that when you come to talk about Jesus, there's opposition to it. And the God, the, sorry, the Bible, the Bible is quite clear that Lucifer, the God of this age, the age between Adam and Jesus' return, is in control of the whole earth. Do you think about that? Well, think about the temptation of Jesus. In Matthew 4, verse 8, Jesus has gone out to, to be tempted by the devil into the desert. And verse 8, it says, And the devil took him to a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, All this I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Well, how can he say all this I'll give you if he, unless he had influence and maybe even control over all the kingdoms? So before we look at the fact that God has even still greater control than Lucifer, we must realise that when it comes to evangelism down here, it's not something you can do in the flesh, in your own strength, in your relying upon your own cleverness, good looks, or whatever it is you rely upon. It must be done underneath the authority of and saturated with the word of God and in, co in cooperation with the God who is bigger than the authority of the, of the guy who has control over this world. 
So the people of this world are being influenced and they're being controlled by forces they can't see and understand. And most of them don't realise that. Although, sadly, some do, and in actual fact, are cooperating happily with those influences. And so that means that the battle for people's souls is firstly a spiritual battle. And so it requires spiritual weapons to overcome that blindness. First and foremost is prayer, and that's why we pray. That's why we have church prayer. Because we can't win souls ourselves with our own skills and in our own flesh, can we? It can only be done through Jesus and what he did on the cross. But we don't need to despair about this, how great it is, how, how hard it is. We don't have to despair about that. Let's hear the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus has pointed out in this passage in Matthew 19 how hard it's going to be for rich people to enter the kingdom. You know, rich people have a stronghold of thought about money. They have ways of talking about money. That's how they got it. And if he says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And sometimes you go, well, who can be saved? Who of my friends will turn to the Lord? But Jesus said, looked at him and he said, with man, in other words, by your own strength and your own capacity and your own power, it's impossible. But with God, in partnership with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Which is why we sang about that earlier on today. All things are possible with God. So one of the strategies of the enemy is to set up these strongholds of thought. And they're like a collection of ideas. Put them all together and they seem to make an unassailable concept. So for example, if you take this idea of health and being healthy, and then you say, well, let's make that into an issue of biosecurity. And then you can make certain health issues then a matter of national security. Take this procedure, or if you don't, you're considered a threat to national security. And in that area, there's a convenient way. You cherry-pick out certain medical ideas. And then once you've got them, you then use them in non-medical ways. And you make a stronghold of close, closely related ideas. That's just one example because there are so many examples of strongholds that have been set up in many areas of life and are deliberately designed by, at the back end of it, by Satan to blind the people of this age. So as believers we shouldn't be surprised about that because you've got the 66 books of the Bible showing us that there is a bigger battle than COVID or whatever the other strongholds are. There's a bigger battle than that going on. And what is that biggest, bigger battle? It's the battle for the souls and lives of every inhabitant on earth. And we'll see as we go on that in that battle, God has our backs. Although sometimes we might have Job's experience. Remember that? In the book of Job, Satan came to God with accusations with accusations. And he said, oh, this Job, he only loves you because you look after him. And so God withdrew his protection for a time to demonstrate that Job actually did truly love him. 
Well, that might happen to you, it might not. But Satan has continued the accusation job ever since. In this age, Lucifer has the capacity to accuse Christians constantly. To accuse Christians constantly before God. We'll look to Revelation to find out how we know that. Revelation 12.10, the revelation to John. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah for, and here's the, here's the, the proof, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. That's his job description. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God. How often? Both day and night. He has been hurled down. But don't feel too special about that. It's not just the Christians. I think, I think Lucifer accuses every human being of being just what they are, sinners. God knows that. We know that. But as always, perspective is critical. Who created everything in the first place? God. We know very simply from Genesis 1 that God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth. And we know in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so let's agree with that fundamental perspective. God is the creator and the ruler over all authorities, whether they submit to him or not. God created Lucifer. Lucifer didn't create himself. And although Lucifer rebelled against him, we understand quite clearly that God has the greater power because Lucifer owes his very existence to God. And when God is ready, Lucifer's time will be up. Just this fact that God made and sustains the very enemies that rebel against him, that's just a mind-boggling... It's a mind-boggler, isn't it? We, we might never understand why he does that, but we just accept what he, do, what he tells us. And we gain correct perspective on the troubles we face in this life when we acknowledge that God knows what he's doing in all the apparent shambles because he is the king and he has a purpose for everything, even for principalities and powers because he created life in the first place. And Daniel knew that. From Daniel 4.35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. Who can do this? He does as he pleases. That's our God. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So we like that sport of saying, what does God know? Why has he done this? No one can really say that. Isaiah knew the same thing. He said in Isaiah 46, verse 9 to 10, Remember the former things, those of long ago? I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I, have made, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, and what's still to come. And I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Friends, God is the real power in the game. About those other powers? Well, underneath Lucifer 
there's a collection of principalities and powers and some of them are in the heavenly realm and some are mainly in the earthly realm and the Bible doesn't really clearly say how those things relate to one another or influence one another and I know that in some areas of Christendom there's a great emphasis on correctly identifying those unseen principalities and powers and those wicked spirits and demons and those territorial spirits in order to do battle with them and there's some merit at times in doing that and being able to pray more accurately but that's not the main gig it's not the main work as believers it's not our main job to go and label every demon and, and every territorial spirit because God's already on to that he's the one who knows he's the one who sees we see in Ephesians 3, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rules and authorities in the heavenly realms. You see, that's in that heavenly realm somewhere. The manifold wisdom of God is no, made known there according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's already accomplished what he wants to accomplish up there. And the heavenly realms have been shown what God is after. What he's already accomplished through Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins. See that confirmed in Ephesians 1, verse 20 and 21. Talking about the power God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above those rules and authorities and those power dominions in that realm. And every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. In all of these principalities and powers which are seeking to blind the world, God is still far above that. That's his rule. He's far above the rule and authority, the power and dominion, and every other name. So in all our worries about what the authorities are doing to us, what life is doing to us, let's keep that perspective of the overwhelming, totally unassailable authority that our Lord Jesus Christ has. And let's remember that trusting in Jesus is the only safe place to be in a world which is under Lucifer's control, in a world where every human institution is influenced by him and his strongholds of thought and is hell-bent on decimating the population of the world, the only safe place is in the hands of God. And as we look at some verses reminding us of that, take note of verse 36. The promise that we can never be separated from the love of Christ occurs in the midst of terrifying times. Romans 8.35 Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So that really means in the worst of times. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. In contrast to that, you've got, you've got Lucifer offering people power, offering people sex, offering people money in this life. But he's omitting to show them the fine print that his promises have a limited life expectancy. They have an expiry date. And every one of his promises is a deception which has a sting in the tail. And one day, when God's plan is complete, there will be a reckoning. So when you believe in Jesus, your eyes are open to see the real state of affairs. You understand this cosmic battle for your soul. You understand that actually it's a battle. Evangelism is actually a battle. A battle against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is a battle. But it's not a battle in which we need to be afraid. It's a battle when we need to have respect. It's a battle that has no surprises in it for God. It's a battle that he's going to win when the plan is fulfilled. And it's a battle that he's given to us all the weapons we need for the battle. It is a battle against an army of dark powers, but they've been disarmed from their real power and we have been promised victory. See, those powers are toothless dogs that can bark loud and scarily, but they don't really have any bite left. And our task is to demonstrate and depend upon the wisdom and power of God when we come against them. You know, one of my favourite stories of, is of the Desert Fathers, now these people that shortly after Jesus was around, they retreated out into caves on the mountainside and, and did the minimum amount of work so they could earn money so that mostly they could just meditate and pray all day. My favourite story from there is of a hermit and he gets disturbed in the night, wakes up, looks down the end of his bed and there's the devil sitting on the end of his, of his bed. He looks and he says, Oh, it's you. And then he rolled over and went back to sleep. He knew he had an enemy, but he knew he was a child of God. And he knew who had the real power and authority. And he had placed himself under that authority of Jesus. And so he rolled over and he went back to sleep. Martin Luther addressed our relationship with the devil in his him a mighty fortress is our God which we'll do at the end of the service and it's got this part in it that says the prince of darkness grim yes he's grim but we tremble not for him his rage and he is raging his rage will not endure for lo his doom is sure one little word shall fell him and of course the word is God Jesus the word and so the two mistakes you can make with Lucifer and this whole concern about principalities and powers is to give them too much attention or too little attention we do battle against them but we battle confidently in God's capacity to achieve what he wants to achieve through us to achieve his plan of saving people God's fully invested in us 
reaching out to our family, reaching out to our friends with the good news about him. And given that it's going to be a struggle to do that, what tools do we take? What equipment do we strap on? Well, we strap on the armour of God. We've got the helmet of salvation, which means being very sure in your mind of your, that you're saved and that you're constantly growing into the mind of Christ. We've got the sword of the Spirit, which really means know your Bible well. You've got the shield of faith, which means uh, affirming what you believe in the face of opposition and not backing down. The belt of truth, which means trail the truth, be transparent, have integrity. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. It means you go out, you don't trust in your capacity, you trust in, in the Lord's capacity, not your, your goodness. And the boots, well, you're ready to go. You put that armour on and you wrestle against principalities and powers. And how do you do that? Well, mostly by praying to the Father and not necessarily by speaking directly to those principalities and powers. Because we stand behind God and we let him do that because he's the one with the power after all. Think about that prayer warrior Daniel. He dislodged a powerful demonic principality over Persia by fasting and praying. And not praying against that principality but by focusing on God, the God of Israel, not on the demonic being himself. Let's dive into Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then he continued, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian king resisted me 21 days. So this is the angel speaking to him. And then Michael, one of the other chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there by the king of Persia. So he'd been praying firstly and agreeing with the supremacy of God in this situation. And that's for us, the application is, we firstly agree with the supremacy of Jesus when we pray, with his power, with his promises and his will. And we pray the prayers of the Bible that we know, we remind ourselves of God's promises and we Pray prophetically in the certainty that he is supreme and his kingdom will be achieved in this situation. But fundamentally, all, in all that, we're praying towards God first and foremost. And we're not really too bothered about the enemy powers because we're extolling God's greatness and we're extolling his glory and his magnificence and his omniscience and omnipotence and his complete and utter capacity to achieve what he wants to achieve. And we pray ourselves into understanding that, understanding the reality of God's power and authority. And that then changes how we are in the world. And we get the revelation of what we couldn't see before, of how adequate God is for what he's asked us to do. You know, I love that story of Elisha. Now, Elisha, you've got a situation where the king of Aram is uh, getting upset because God's telling Elisha what he's going to do and uh, eventually uh, every plan's foiled and the king of Aram realises that it's coming because of Elisha so he sends off an army and Elisha's servant gets up the next morning pops outside to do a few chores, looks around and there's a whole army around him 
And he's going, oh, we don't see that every day. And he's very scared. Uh, so he goes and tells Elisha. But is Elisha scared? Well, let's look at 2 Kings 6. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of chariots and fire all around Elisha. And that's our prayer for us. Lord, open our eyes to see your forces, the chariots and horses all around us. And I hope that encourages you, that verse. Ask your Lord, ask the Lord to open your eyes to see the great cloud of witnesses. We're never on our own when we believe in the Lord because God is always with us. And so that all amounts to the fact that the starting point of effective evangelism is always prayer. Yeah, Daniel there, in his situation, he prayed for 21 days in order to get the breakthrough. And that proves that there's some relationship between our prayer and between what God does. Not that we have to really work hard and the harder we work, the more he does. But there's really about aligning our understandings of life, aligning ourselves with God and with his purposes as we see through the Bible. Get ourselves in line and pray. In Daniel's situation, that angel, he pulled back the curtain a bit and he gave Daniel a glimpse into the angelic and the demonic authorities that are above what we see, the natural authorities of nations. And Daniel had fought that demonic prince of Persia by agreeing with God, by worshipping God, by praying for the needs of his region with prayer and fasting. You see, Jesus can easily overcome demonic principalities, but he chooses to work through us. He chooses to work through our prayer and our obedience because he wants partnership with us in this, in this process. And God works in us and through us to overthrow and hinder those unseen demonic principalities and powers over our states and our nation. And he wants to work with us in that. And he wants us to ask for open doors. Colossians 4.3 Open unto us a door. Paul wrote that and he was under house arrest. He didn't say, oh, get me out of here. He didn't ask for better food. He asked for an open door for the gospel. Even though he was locked up, he was still able to minister. And he needed the prayers of God's people to, for that door of ministry to open. So that's, that's what we're going to pray for, doors, which in Scripture are opportunities. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, Paul says, For a great door and effectual for effective work is opened unto me. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, he says, When I came to Troas to preach the Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. See, Jesus opens and shuts the door for us as we seek him in prayer. And Revelation 3.8, Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. See, if you pray for open doors, God will show you open doors, but you need to ask for them. So let's draw it to close and 
Most people are unaware of the strongholds of thought which are controlling them, or maybe they think it's just their ideas, or this way our, my friend's group of ideas. And effective evangelism against strongholds starts with prayer to break those strongholds of thought which Satan has over our fellow human beings. We need to seek God and pray that these satanic strongholds of our leaders and our governments will be broken. But we do that firstly by coming to God in repentance and submission and, maybe and confessing the sins of our countrymen and seeking God's forgiveness for them. That's what a priest does. We have a priestly role even though they will never come themselves. But we worship. We worship our omnipotent God. And we stay in worship and adoration long enough for it to seep into the very depths of our heart. And we ask to be filled with the Spirit and filled to overflowing and filled that we may do the works that God has prepared us to do. And we pray that God will exercise his might against the evils we see around us. We don't really need to know the name of every spirit. Just pray about the sins you see because there's spirits behind those. If you want to know where to start praying, think about these things. In Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. There's a list of things. If you see them around about anywhere, pray against those because there will be a spiritual force behind them. Friends, God's master plan is to take a family into eternity. He's able to save all those he's chosen and all, all those who wish to be with him. And he defeated all the principalities and powers which the prince which uh, Satan can muster. He defeated them and pronounced that very clearly on the cross just before he died when he said this, three words. What did he say? It is finished. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And just to confirm that it, that disarmed and, and defeated principalities and powers. He says in Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So have enough respect for the principalities and powers arrayed against us to pray for the Lord to demolish them and to do this. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And walk the talk whilst you do it. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God in our area, in the, in the Shire of Makkah, will be demolished. Pray that you will do that. We can't. We pray for open doors for each of us here as we think of this month. We pray in this moment that you'll settle on our hearts someone to pray for, someone to pray for an open door to. 
And as we we gathered to pray on that Saturday evening before before you, for our nation and for our leaders, we pray that you will be set free to demolish every argument and every pretension which sets itself up against you. For you are the real power in this town. And we lift you up and proclaim that this morning. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Muckendoon, Bonnie Rock and Lake Brown. Amen.